0: Hey everyone, this is EJ Laws from HR Tech Go-To-Market, most popular podcast on how HR Tech, future of work, and automation companies bring their products to market. In this episode, we speak with Alex Coleman from Faraday Careers. Faraday Careers helps onboard people into skilled trades, specifically starting with HVAC, as well as looking at other areas. This is an enlightening episode for me, and I hope you all enjoy it as well. Hey everyone, this is EJ from HR Tech Go-To-Market. Today I'm here with Alex Coleman, founder of Faraday Careers. Faraday is focusing on a unique area that I've heard a number of people talk about as important and underserved recently. But Alex, I will let you talk about what Faraday Careers is and what you're doing.
1: <laughs> awesome, EJ. Excited to be on the pod.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming. So would love to hear in you know your own perspective, your own words, what is Faraday that you're working on right now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Faraday is focused on building the next generation of skilled trade professionals. Um, So we're kind of a marketplace connector. We match people who are hardworking, who are looking to get into careers like HVAC, plumbing, electrical, and we connect them with employers who will hire them and basically pay to train them into technicians or professionals. So we connect employers who have the capacity to hire and train entry-level folks, and we connect them with folks who you know want to make a career transition or want to start a career in the skilled trades
0: got it thanks and and so the these skilled trades are i would say more on the services side of skilled trades is that right that's hvac i think you mentioned a couple of things sorry about that but yeah where you're the really focuses right
1: yeah, so skill trades it's like, it's like kind of tough to categorize, I think you kind of lump it in with construction. So, you know, our focus is really on kind of what you'd call home service trades. So, if your air conditioner breaks in your house or like your your sink is leaking, you would call your local plumber or HVAC technician. That's really where we're kind of getting focused in on. There is kind of commercial and industrial applications. In manufacturing, or or kind of chemical manufacturing, or even commercial construction, right? Someone's building like a skyscraper or, or a multifamily home. But we are really focused on kind of the service side. So again, you know, really customer facing and going in and fixing you know everyday people's equipment in their homes.
0: How did you decide to focus on the trades? And then as the follow up, like what what led you to this the services side of the trades?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I actually have no formal experience in the trade. So I've never been an HVAC technician or an electrician, but I grew up in and around kind of the trades in manufacturing. So my my father and uncle entered the workforce out of high school and started a medical device manufacturing business. Um never went to college, kind of started this business with my grandfather's retirement savings ended up being a successful family business so I spent a lot of time as a kid kind of working on the factory floor temperature and humidity control were really important during the process so I got to know some of the HVAC folks coming in and out of the out of the, the facility got to work a lot with kind of like the the manufacturing line folks so when went to start Faraday you know and part of the inspiration was was kind of growing up there and and trying to bring kind of dignity and and technology to a business that that I was really familiar with but the challenge with manufacturing was that the Training and kind of requirements really differ. You know, the the training is hard to commoditize. Controls at one company may look different than others. The processes may differ pretty vastly. And when we started learning more, when I started learning more about kind of the trades, you you kind of see like this commoditized, you know, pieces of education. Right? There's licensing requirements that are pretty well defined in plumbing or electrical. There's national certifications required for HVAC. You know, a lot of it is is physics and thermodynamics and that doesn't really change all that much whether you're working on the East Coast or the West Coast or, or the middle of America. So we kind of Which saw is a good opportunity- thing right. right? <laughs> it's a good <laughs> yeah. thing
0: the physics is not
1: changing. <laughs> yeah. The variables certainly change, but the the overall physics does not. So we saw this opportunity where there was kind of like a a commoditized, you know, part of the education that we could provide as an education provider that would service a larger group than like trying to build specialized training for advanced manufacturing.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds like a lot of learning condensed down into a very succinct statement. You know, it, I know you talked about the background in manufacturing. So, you know, from manufacturing, like, oh, this is not that commoditized, or at least it's not that consistent, to then, okay, we need something that's more consistent, and it's great if it's regulated or licensed at a national level. How quick was that learning and iteration cycle for you? Was that already a hypothesis in your back in your mind, or was that something that you just... Spoke to customers and really found out about how did that work?
1: Yeah, I I really didn't know a lot about the trades kind of getting into the business, which sounds, you know, I talk to people and they're like, You know, why'd you start Faraday? It's like I have no experience in education or the trades, and I'm starting a trades education business. So, you know, really came in and just started talking to customers. Fortunate to kind of know some of the folks that owned HVAC businesses in my area. They were family friends. My father actually helped one of his friends start a business, so kind of had like a quick line to talk to them, and they were nice enough to kind of give me the time of day and and learned a lot about the industry. That way, so really, just kind of being like a student of the industry, talking to as many people as I could, uh, which was was surprisingly hard during the summer because HVAC is is booming at that point, and and not many people want to give you the time of day when they're, they're
0: chasing. Yeah, super so. busy.
1: Yeah, super busy. But one of the reasons we landed on HVAC specifically is that um, you know, as we learned about plumbing and electrical, the licensing and kind of certification process in HVAC there it existed but it wasn't as developed as some of the other licensed trades like plumbing or electrical you know there's kind of like this national certification that the epa provided and the epa was just really starting to let third parties be certification administrators so we went in and spent about you know year and a half basically earning the epa's trust and becoming a certified organization so that we could actually present mm-hmm. that certification so we kind of quickly learned that like HVAC was kind of a newer industry and in that there weren't as many, you know, regs and red tape that existed for, for better or for worse, that allowed us to kind of get into the market quickly. And again, learn that kind of the, the education that someone's receiving on, on, you know, in the Northeast is is generally the same as someone on the West Coast. Again, maybe not as focused on on heating in some areas, but a lot of the equipment is generally the same.
0: So, so then, you know, there, I think there there's some interesting things that you brought up there. So one, it sounds like your entry into this space is maybe different than other talent marketplaces. When I think about most talent marketplaces, they're going after existing supply. That is people who are already in the field experience and then trying to match them up with opportunities. Since you're talking about certification, it sounds like that you're actually bringing people into the market. Is that right?
1: Yeah, we made kind of a deliberate decision early on that we didn't want to be optimizing existing supply and really focused on generating new supply. I mean, if, if you just Google like skilled trades, the first few pages are going to be talking about the skilled trade labor crisis. So it's like, it's kind of everywhere. You know, I think I saw something last week that like there's 50% less plumbers than the U.S. needs. Like there are dramatic, you know, labor issues in the trades. So we really, you know, we're like, hey, we could focus on existing supply of workers that are like dwindling every year, or we could be really focused on generating supply.
0: Hmm. Got it. And then how do you, you know, what has been the reception when talking about the skilled trades to people who could consider this as a, as a career? And I wonder sort of, I feel like in the States, it has not been a go-to career. And I think it's different in other countries. So there's this like cultural um, and I'm just curious what you're seeing and learning.
1: Yeah, I think you know, 2008 was kind of a you know a bit of a a shift for the trades when the you know the 2008 housing crisis. You saw a lot of people kind of leave the construction industry because there was no not a lot of new construction, and and a lot of that workforce didn't come back. So I think that's that's kind of one of the reasons that you're seeing a bit of a, a labor shortage right now. But you know we. And I thought about this, you know, from day one. Like, oh, you know, the the trades have this perception problem. There's a top of funnel problem. There's not enough people that are interested in these careers. And I've kind of switched a, a bit of thought there after kind of being in the market. I think there's a lot of people that want to kind of pursue these careers. It's just really hard for them to access those careers. Trade schools are really expensive. They're time consuming. There's this market where you can kind of join as an apprentice, but a lot of times those listings require you to have, you know, 1 year of experience. So it's like, you know, a bit of like a catch 22, right? Do I go to trade school to pursue this career I'm kind of interested in? Do I, you know, try my luck as an apprentice? And the businesses are kind of like, hey, you know, hiring someone without any experience is a risky endeavor, so you, they end up like not hiring a lot of these folks. So, you know, we get about 10,000 people to our website each month looking for more information about these careers and we're still very, fairly new you know there's a lot more search volume out there I mean if you talk to businesses they'll tell you that there's they don't generally have a tough time attracting entry-level candidates it's just they are not sure how to decide who the right person to kind of invest in trading is
0: got it and so then if you take that sort of space of okay how do you decide which ones are the right ones You know, that probably breaks down into different types of skill sets. So how do you help companies solve that problem?
1: Yeah, yeah. So you're right. And and most, you know, this is kind of what we hear the most is like you're looking for someone who has mechanical aptitude, who's motivated to learn, and who has good communication skills. And if you were to look at someone's resume who maybe worked at UPS and spent 30 minutes with them, it's really hard to suss out that information. Like, how do I know this person wants to be an HVAC technician? How do I know they have the aptitude to learn? And like employers have kind of invented some proxies for this. Like you may take a mechanical aptitude test, but like generally the tools that employers are using to assess an entry-level candidate just don't really map well to the skill sets that they're really looking for. So we do a lot of that through our technology platform. So, you know, we we personally interview every candidate that applies to our program. We put them through what we call kind of our pre-hire training. And that's a great way for us to kind of assess aptitude and motivation, right? Do they complete this training program that ends in industry certification? Or do they decide, hey, this isn't really for me and I don't want to continue with this. But it's a way for the student to benefit because they're earning this great credential, but also for us to understand, does this person really want to become a technician? Or is this just kind of like an interest that you know, was spiked at one point and, and is no longer something they're interested in doing.
0: And so, you know, if you're doing the interviews yourselves, I think about scalability as a challenge. I know in some situations there are actually marketplaces with people who will interview. So in the developer side, I think there's a couple of marketplaces where it's like these people will do the interview questions and scale for you. How do you think about scaling up that side of the business or Do you think it sort of has importance now at the stage you're at, and you might sort of transition to a different model?
1: Yeah, so we've kind of already transitioned. So when I say we personally interview, so we do we have a pre-recorded kind of Mm on-demand recording process where we ask them three questions, they record themselves answering it, but then we're there as kind of a career coach if they have additional questions. So there's always a person there that's kind of there to support if they want additional support, but the interviews happen in kind of a scalable way where a student can kind of do it whenever they want, but we're kind of getting the core questions that we'd be asking in in that interview anyway.
0: Got it. So is this an async process when you talk about coaching? Is that like async over text or is it actual...
1: It's a combination. So yeah, we it could be happen over text, over email. We do allow students to kind of book time with our career coaches. So if they want to talk to someone live, they can do that. But I would say a lot of it happens over text. You know, email has not been a great communication channel for a lot of the folks that we work with. Texting seems to be, you know, casual and can get a lot of, you know, they're, they're quicker to respond and more comfortable texting than sending an email.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely hearing that response rates on text messages with people in the application funnel in jobs in general is much higher than email which i guess is good i wonder how long this will last and how long until we need like better spam filtering on text messages to keep yeah. it going. <laughs> you know it's it's good for now which is which is great but it also sounds like you know you are solving a number of different problems how how long have you been working on Faraday now
1: yeah, it's been about a year and a half, I'd say. I mean, okay. the first kind of six months were really talking to customers, and then, you know, really the last year kind of actually building the product and going to market with, you know, what the Faraday technology platform looks like today.
0: Got it. So, I mean, it sounds like actually a pretty fast ramp up as well, like a fast cycle of learning and building.
1: Yeah, I mean we we've been really focused on kind of leveraging no code tools to build a lot of our mm-hmm. stack. So we don't have a product team. You know, we've got myself and and a few other folks on the operations side. Are really focused on kind of customer support and and execution. So we've been able to stay like pretty nimble. And like our business has changed a lot since we first started. I mean, we we really first started as like a school where it was free for students, and then we were kind of like trying to push people out into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. We we thought about ISAs for a second, and then. We moved into kind of more of like a training platform, but we started hearing from employers that you know they basically pay for kind of like a vetted candidate, and that's really mm. where we kind of got centered with with the current offering. Mm.
0: What What is your sense? Like, did you talk to potential school attendees about the ISAs? Like, I'm just curious what the initial market response was to ISAs.
1: Yeah, I you know we didn't talk a lot about it. I thought a lot about it, and, and you know there's like a lot of new things we're trying to do with Faraday, right? Online education for the trades is like a generally new thing. Um, And, you know, employer involved training is kind of a new thing. Or like, how many things do we really want to like innovate on? And we didn't feel like the financial side of things was something that like we wanted to tack on to kind of like what we were building. So, and I, I think there's like generally this shift, in my opinion, of of the education landscape, you know, it used to kind of be like federally backed, and then it was privatized, and it was up to the individual. I think the general shift is that like employer-backed education is is what's to come. And that's like a big benefits piece to large corporations. So we were really kind of keen to figure out if we could kind of make employer-sponsored education work in the trades. And for what it's worth, I mean, they've been doing it forever, apprenticeships or employer-backed yeah. education. they Pay you to become a licensed technician. There's just not really a technology platform that supports that operation.
0: I, I don't remember the name. There's a UK company that's from like Tony Blair's son that I think. Yeah, Multiverse. Yeah, Multiverse. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, so it's definitely something that's getting more and more attention. Uh,
1: yeah, they're it's actually they're able to take advantage of the the uh, the levy in the UK, so they've been able to get to market really quickly in the UK. I'm not. I, I believe they're in the US as well now. You know, it's one of the, the kind of challenges in the US is the, you know, there's some money out there for kind of the, you know, grants for apprenticeship programs, and a lot of it's in the technology sector. There's not a ton in the construction sector.
0: Hmm. It's interesting. You know, when it comes to customer acquisition, you don't have to go DT deal, but I'd, I'd just be curious, like, you know, are you finding tradespeople just coming through SEO? Like what has been a good, good way?
1: Yeah. On the kind of, you know, again, we kind of think of ourselves as like a marketplace. So on the candidate or student side, SEO has been a big channel for us. You know, we, we kind of see ourselves as like, an educator and and kind of awareness builder up front. A lot of people come to us wondering how much do HVAC technicians make? How do I become an HVAC technician? You know, we're able to put out a resource that helps them understand what that career looks like, and then give them a pathway to you know, basically starting that career debt free if they want. So SEO has been a big channel for us there on the student side of things. On the business side, not so much. It's been a lot of kind of direct sales, and you know, I think we're. We're really focused on kind of enterprise like customers. So, like, our our average company has, or average partner, employee partner has about 300 employees, the largest being about 3000. So, we're really looking for kind of like these larger HVAC folks who are, are really focused on growth. They're multi location. A lot of them have the capacity to invest in training. And that's really who we've been speaking with. And, um, there's, you know, kind of another push toward HVC is like, it's the hottest private equity category for like the past 10 years. So you're seeing a lot of kind of sophisticated buyers coming into the market who understand how to leverage technology to kind of like grow and scale businesses. So that's, you know, been a channel for us as selling into those businesses who understand how technology can kind of change the business operations.
0: Mm, Yeah, that's that's really insightful. And, you know, I think understanding who that ideal target partner is, as you called them, I think is great. One of the things that occurs to me is that there might be existing placement firms that are serving these niches already. One of the go-to markets that I've seen work is sort of the acquisition of those placement firms for the customer book. You know, what what are you seeing in there? Uh,
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of what, I'm trying to remember the name of the company, WorkRise did. I think they were kind of buying their recruiting agencies.
0: WorkRise is one of them. Yep.
1: Yeah. So for us, again, like I think we're not competing directly with recruiting agencies, right? We're, Mm. we're really trying to like offload the response, the kind of the entry level piece of the recruiting agency. So a lot of the companies we work with have W2 recruiters that they pay to work for the business and like they're focused on sourcing and, you know, basically going after experienced technicians. It doesn't make sense for you to pay someone, you know, hundred thousand dollars a year or whatever it is, to like source entry level candidates. Like, it's really hard for a recruiter to kind of like understand the skill set you're looking for. So we're kind uh-huh. of like, hey, don't don't waste your recruiter's time on the entry level candidates. Let us basically do that for you, so that your recruiter can focus on recruiting folks that are like able to produce revenue day one when they step on the job site.
0: Hmm. Got it. I imagine when you talk to investors, there might be like different pushes. Like I can imagine them being like, oh, you should totally go into the great trades and you should own it. I could also imagine you should be the Udemy or DeGreed of the trades. Like what are some of the different back and forths that you get? And then how do you set your North star? Yeah, it's a good question.
1: I think it's kind of, you know, we're really focused on what the employers are kind of looking for. I mean, the employees are ultimately our customers. And it's like, mm. I, I think I kind of went into it like, oh, there's a lack of technical education in the trades. And there's not enough, you know, you know, quality training content. And I mean, there's tons of it. So I think like a Udemy in the space doesn't make a whole lot of sense, in my opinion. Like manufacturers, you know, basically offer training at a loss to all of their their dealer network the distributors have training you've got interplay learning I mean there's tons of training out there if someone really wants to take advantage of it so again I think you know more training is not the solution in my opinion I think there's probably, too much training where the Mm. contractor is just like I don't know which training to buy or like how to apply it how do I track to make sure that my team's actually using it I mean it's one of those things where it's like you buy all this training and then you're like oh my team didn't get any better but it's like you don't they don't even know how to use the training in most circumstances or like you know what's the right way to kind of uh, administer training at one of these businesses. So, you know, I think like there, we've definitely had to push into training. We've had to push into like, Oh, you should expand your labor marketplace into like experienced technicians. And like our North star again has been like, how do we increase accessibility for folks who want to get into the trades? And then we, how do we help businesses basically develop their own workforce? I mean, that's really what we're focused on. So it's probably some combination of like recruiting, vetting, and and training i think there's something to be said about bundling that value chain so it's it's kind of one service for
0: vertical bundling uh, i guess
1: yeah exactly that doesn't mean we have to like own the training stack but basically we're the layer in which employers access training i think that's how we kind of think about it because a lot of them want to bring their own training like they Mm. they have training managers they have their own sops so like they want to be Administering and building some of their own training, they don't want drop in replacements like for their entire training stack.
0: Yeah, I guess you should say that it makes sense to me that there's probably a technical component to training, and then there's also going to be the way the company works that differentiates it. And so that would be unique and different.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that was something I really struggled with initially talking to customers. You know, you talk to these companies who spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to build these internal training academies. And, I'm, and I remember talking to one of them, and he's like, You're probably asking me why is every company investing their own? You know, resources and building this training academy it can't make sense, and I'm like, yes, that is exactly the question I'm asking. At like, this doesn't make sense to me. And he's like, I think that the companies are differentiated enough; they have SOPs, they do things substantially differently when it comes to servicing customers. Mm-hmm. That there's a need for them to kind of build their own training resources. And so you, and that was go ahead.
0: No, as just say, like you took that complexity. You're like, okay, each one of these is different, and you're going to aggregate in some way and try to solve these problems, so, like that must require almost custom workflows for every employer in some sense or or how did you avoid that building out custom workflows
1: yeah we've been you know we we don't actually have custom workflows for each employer we've been able to kind of like productize what our current process looks like so that's like our technology platform in which employers review candidates and then once they make a hiring decision we enroll them in what we call like our pre-hire training that ends with the EPA 608 certification. So that's like the standard workflow right now. We haven't really branched outside of that for continuous education for the reasons that you're highlighting here, right? You don't want to build like a custom training solution for every single business you work with. So we're still trying to figure out how we kind of break into that space, but kind of the call it like the, uh, you know, job readiness training uh Mm -hmm. we've been able to kind of cut you know basically productize with a with an industry certification we're still trying to figure out how we do that kind of moving into continuous education
0: interesting and i guess you have to decide if you want to branch into other industries or like i mean i don't know if this is a good one but beauty technicians are licensed and probably have some set of training commercial truck drivers could be another one you obviously have options on how to expand it's it's a big market in a lot of ways
1: yeah i think we're we're you know initially focused on hvac i'm not sure what you know what vertical we may tackle next but it's you know it's kind of that like wide versus narrow question do you go you know fully integrate hvac or do you go horizontal and start working across a bunch of different occupations and i think we're still trying to figure out exactly what the next moves look like for that but i think that there's a lot of opportunity for a platform that's designed for kind of like what I'll call deskless workers, you know, folks that don't are, there's basically some hands-on application piece to the training. And if you look at like the most LMSs, like they don't support that. So I think there's, there's a, there's some platform there that can kind of like support a wide array of what you might call deskless workers.
0: Yeah. essentially. I mean, like when you tie that into I think like not just mobile, but like text message, like there's just this whole different flow of worker application, communication, onboarding that just feels very underserved, at least from my perspective on sort of like where I look in the HR tech market. So it's interesting that you're you're going to tackle it. Switching gears a little bit, what would you say is one of the hardest problems you're trying to solve right now?
1: Yeah. I think it's, it's, you know, trying to show businesses, you know, kind of different ways of evaluating candidates. I mean, the, what's the average kind of, I don't know what you might call interview process for like an entry-level candidate. And we've seen this from like a few of these like internal academies is they'll like set up an event, event, they will get a bunch of people to show up they'll offer like pizza. And then they're basically trying to like do like background checks and hiring on the spot. And it's it's like can be effective, but it's kind of like getting companies comfortable using a technology platform to offset a lot of that has been a challenge. You know, a lot of them are kind of fortunately used to using something like Service Titan so they understand it, mm-hmm. but it's the hiring process just feels and and for good reason, like a very personal thing. And it's hard mm-hmm. to detach like uh, we should be like meeting 150 people in person versus we can probably do this first level screening online and then just spend time with like the 15 most important candidates that we want to bring on as apprentices
0: do you think well actually so you mentioned using no code tools to build did you use any freelancers to prototype or was it you and no code tools
1: it's pretty much me so i have a bit of a software background so like i've built you know kind of applications before and uh, so we haven't used any freelancers for the no-code side we've used a lot of consultants for kind of the sme side of things you know we have folks that Mm. support us to help us build education programs but Mm. you know i think it's kind of one of the nice parts about where we're at today is like i can spend times with with customers and and basically go and prototype something that they want relatively quickly
0: what are your some of your favorite go-to no-code tools
1: yeah. I mean, our business runs on Airtable, Zapier, mm-hmm. and Webflow. There's a new tool we've been using called JetAdmin that's pretty similar to like a, the name's going to escape me now, but it's kind of like, it's a way to build internal tools, like a retool or something like that. So yeah. it connects with with Airtable, which is great. So you can kind of build like prototype dashboards using JetAdmin which is which is great for the internal team and kind of running admissions processes.
0: Alex, what do you think about some of the typical differences between skilled trades and office work?
1: Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think, you know, we we tend to kind of think of the, you know, skilled trades as like deskless workers, right? People working in construction, skilled trades, manufacturing. I think we kind of it's comfortable kind of limp those folks in together. One of the cool parts about kind of the skill trades or deskless workforce is that their office may change every day. It could be your office could be a truck. It could be someone's home. It could be a job site. So you're, you're basically seeing something new every day. You're facing a new challenge every day, which is really exciting for a lot of people who are interested in kind of entering the workforce. There's definitely more physical challenges, right? You're, you're like lifting equipment or carrying tools. So you're working on your feet all day, which is different than kind of the typical Typical office work, but you know, no desk doesn't mean no technology. I mean, most technicians are out the field with iPads, who are you know basically diagnosing systems from iPads or iPhones. So, I think the main difference is just kind of like they're it's a mobile workforce, right? Their their desk could be you know, basically any any location on a given day. Another piece is is that it's really customer facing. I mean, you're you're in someone's home, you're in a grocery store, you're talking to business owners. So, a lot of it is Is customer phasing, which is different than than kind of your typical office work.
0: Yeah, you know, I got to say, my father-in-law works for UPS. He's been a driver there for over 25 years. 65. He is in like just like fantastic shape (laughs) and energy. And so, actually, like now as I sort of like get older, I'm like, you know what? That's actually like a really great benefit to be constantly moving around and not just sitting at a desk. That just like helps you stay healthier longer. And so, I mean, that's yeah, a it, marketed benefit.
1: Yeah, it's it's a bit of a double edged sword. I mean, like in HVAC, at least you're like you could be working in attics that are like hundred plus degrees, I'm sure it's and,
0: places that are hot, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, and it's like I mean, it's physically demanding. I know a lot of you know the average retirement age for someone in the trades is like I want to say like in the fifties versus like a sixty five. I mean, you know, it's it's. It's a lot of physical labor work. So yeah. I think it can be healthy to some extent, but you know, it's it's it definitely takes a toll on the body. So again, a double-edged sword, but I think like there's a lot of knowledge that you you can kind of intake while you're in the field and now there's a lot of opportunities for for virtual diagnostics where you have these senior techs who are no longer in the field who can still contribute to the company by training new folks or by, you know, diagnosing system issues without having to really be in the field.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of my usual ending questions, I feel like I probably, you've answered this in five different ways. And so I'm kind of, we'll we'll see how it goes, but you know, what's a hypothesis you had when starting that you've either changed your mind on or or doubled down on? And it sounds like you've had a pretty iterative learning culture. So.
1: Yeah. Again, I think, I think the biggest one, it's like what you'll see basically all over the internet, if you're looking at like the skilled labor shortage is that this like top of funnel problem. And again, I, I reading those articles, you're like, there's not enough people that want to become technicians and it's always kind of like the same prescriptive advice. We need to bring like shop classes back to high school. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to like engage the you know, younger kids with the trades at an earlier age. And I think I like generally agree with all of those things, but it's like, uh, like kids don't probably know what accountants do at that age either. Like, yeah. I think there, like it's hard to kind of like bring every occupation into high school. And I'm not sure if like bringing back shop classes is the answer. I think that there's a lot of folks that go and enter the workforce. Maybe they work at like, Amazon or UPS, you know, they're kind of doing like these like gig work jobs mm-hmm. to some extent. Some are W2. And then they're like, Hey, you know what? I've got a family. And like, I, now I kind of see what my interests are and I'm like ready to actually pursue a career rather than like, I'm sure there's some 17 year olds who are like, I want to be a, a technician for the rest of my life. But I think a lot of them like, think it sounds cool and then they get into it. And then they kind of like flake, which is just natural for like 17 year old kids. So
0: yeah,
1: I think my general Sense was like, okay, yeah, we we need more top of funnel, but I think that there's sufficient top of funnel. We, we actually surveyed a bunch of our applicants who applied to French programs through Faraday, and we asked them, you know, like why they wanted to pursue a career as an HVAC technician. And The number one reason was they wanted to start a new career, not a job. Mm. They, they were looking to kind of get away from like uh, like a UPS job. But even more surprisingly, asked like, what's holding you back? Why? If you're so interested in being a techn- technician, why have you done it yet? And the, the number one answer was they didn't know where to start. They had no idea if they should go to trade school, if they should join as a helper, if they should join as an apprentice. So I don't think it's like top of funnel. I think it's like demystifying how do I actually enter this workforce. I think that's the bigger challenge here. I think there's enough interest from from what I gather.
0: That's a tough question. But, you know, obviously, labor force participation rates have dropped. And in any sense, do you feel like the complexity of figuring out a career and how to start has has led to some of that? I mean, there are lots of reasons why labor force participation rates have dropped. I don't want to pin it all on one thing, but I'm just curious if you see people who come back into the labor force uh, because of Faraday in any way.
1: Yeah, we. I think it's like half the people we work with are currently employed, and the other half aren't. You know, we we definitely see a lot of folks who kind of left the labor force over the past two years and are looking to kind of re-enter. I think a lot of them, you know, may have been working at jobs that they really didn't enjoy that much, and maybe spent some time kind of doing some soul searching. I think again, the exciting thing about skilled trades and maybe HVAC specifically is kind of like. The amount of technology that's now going into those systems, it's not like wrench turning work. I mean, there's a whole push for electrifying uh, these HVAC systems where there's a lot of virtual diagnostics, IoT Mm. tools. So it's like, I hate to use the cliche, but it's like, it's not your grandfather's trade. It's like this, it's like a very technical and software driven business now. I think that's like bringing a lot of people back into it, right? That, That maybe wouldn't have been interested a few years ago.
0: And then, I guess, depending on how you believe in climate change, it seems like there's probably a growing need for HVAC uh, units and the HVAC technicians as well. 100%. Accelerate.
1: Yeah, I mean, the I think HVAC usage in terms of energy is like the highest in the US and there's a lot of movement now to electrify a lot of those systems, make them more energy efficient. Heat pumps are a big part of that conversation and mm-hmm. a big part of the bill that was just passed as well as subsidizing the cost of installing those new systems. So I think you're going to see a lot of movement for folks and, and demand for people that can install these like more technical systems.
0: Okay. Awesome. Alex, that was great. I really appreciate it. That was an insightful look into an area that I spend less time looking at, but is obviously extremely important to our economy. So I appreciate your time today. And thanks for walking through everything that you're doing.
1: Yeah. Thanks, EJ. Appreciate you having me.